from the guy that brought you Nextflix. A new podcast arises from the fame and the support of all of our loyal listeners. All 30 of you out there. All 30. It's up from 18. Do you? I didn't tell you the name. You didn't tell me the name. I I should have told you the name. Uh, Have you named it yet? Can I just come up with a name right now? No, we did name it, and it's a really good name. All right, go for it. What is it? Okay, so everyone, I have started a new podcast. What? Luke is frozen. I'm going to keep talking while he's frozen. I've started started a new podcast with my sister, Shauna. Uh, We're going to do a podcast where we talk about our favorite books. We're starting with Harry Potter. There's a few other ones we're going to want to do. The podcast is called Literally Lit. Like literally literature. (laughs) That was Shauna's idea. It's so bad. And that is something Shauna would come up with too. If that gives you any idea of what the podcast is about, it's actually kind of similar to this, except we don't really go through the books chronologically. We kind of just talk about our favorite parts. So it is in the process of coming out. By the time this episode comes out, it should be the first episode should be up. We talk about Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Man. Yeah. It'll be fun. There's going to be a collaboration in the future from the producers of Netflix and literally lit. The same production team. The same production team that brought you your favorite podcast and all of Anchor, now owned by Spotify. Did you see that? I did. I'm excited. Yeah. So there's some things going on there. I hope that doesn't mess up this podcast going to other podcast players. We'll find out. We? We'll see. Yeah, we, we will. If you Check get it from our- Apple Podcast and suddenly you can't get it from Apple Podcast anymore, please go to Spotify. We're still there. We are still here. We're just part of the machine. So Can you get podcast on spotify if you don't have premium i think you can i don't know i don't, I don't really, know i don't have premium i do have premium you have premium premium what's your what's your premium every day i uh contour highlights eyebrows and lips <laughs> hawkeye taught me that so in in uh in the production realm i guess if you've done any traveling for work premium is referred to as as the amount of money you're going to get every day for your living expenses. So when I do oh. when I do shows or things like that out on the road or whatever the crap, you'll get X amount of dollars a day for your food. But the best part is if you don't use all of it, you get to keep it. So I usually find myself just getting like a little bag of fries from McDonald's or something because I can eat. Because <laughs> you don't eat when you're working. Because I, I forget to eat. Although I'm getting better at it now that there's catering involved. So that's, that's good. Nice. I mean, so, I mean, there's catering at your job. Yeah, dude. So we do. I, Are you I hiring? Work, <laughs> I, yeah, dude. It's kind of cool. Every service that we do, because it's so long at, at the job. Um, every weekend we'll do a dinner and then a breakfast. And it's like a. It's not like pizza or something like that. It's like Mexican fajitas or like chicken waffles or like it's like a hearty thing. Dude, um, that's, so that's kind of cool. Oh, so good, man. So good. The best I so, get is sometimes I talk to my boss and let me buy donuts, letting me go get the donuts. Yeah, that's the that's the highlight of the day right there. Oh my goodness, but I do live by a Krispy Kreme, and and I yeah. have been through there one time when the little hot and fresh sign was on. And I don't really like. Okay, here's the thing: controversial opinion of this podcast. This is the worst thing ever. I don't really like Krispy Kreme. Okay, it's too sweet. It's too sweet. But here's the thing: everyone that is on the bandwagon of Krispy Kreme. 
is like, oh yeah, of course it's crap when it's cold. You gotta get them hot. And like, well, if a donut is crap when it's that's fair though. That's very fair. That's fair. But here's the thing: I've had so many donuts that are not hot, that are incredible. So I was like, there's no way that there's that much because let's be honest: if even the most diehard Krispy Kreme person should admit this, they are absolute crap when they're cold. They are just not good donuts. I mean, like some of them are okay, but. Here's the thing. I had one hot and crispy, whatever. And I was like, oh, I could see. I could totally see why people like this. Yeah, there used to be a Krispy Kreme here in, here in town. And there's not anymore. And it makes me sad. Yeah, dude. It's, it might make it now, but years ago, years ago it did not. How are they going to make it now either? There's too much of a diet fad going through this city. That's true. Stupid fat people. Get <laughs> All right, guys. Hey. Stupid Netflix documentary about losing weight. Yeah, well, all, all fifty thousand of them. Yeah, all it takes nowadays is one Netflix show, and you're freaking set for everything, I guess. All right, guys. Yeah, I hear that John Malkovich is going to do well after he did Bird Box. Oh, I'm sure he will. <laughs> it's really going to make his career. <laughs> yeah, it's going to make him. Well, we have opinions on that. Check out our other podcast. I mean, he was good in it. He was good in it. I, I'll give him that. He was. Actually yeah. Cool. Well, guys, welcome. Long time. No cast. No cast. Oh, podcast. <laughs> it's been I never a few people weeks. call it a cast. It's always called a pod. Here's the thing. I'm going to make it a thing. It's going to go in an urban dictionary. It's going to be called cast. Um, yeah. What's the so difference been, between a pod and a cast, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, a pod is the Tide Pod Challenge. And then the okay. cast is something you put on your arm. Or Acceptable. Please continue. Or something, or something you listen to. That'll okay. be my definition in, in the Urban Dictionary. A cast, something you put on your arm or something you listen to. Or the Indian class system. When used as... <laughs> yeah, that's great. Or if you're in India, this is what it means. I can get snow, like 80,000 feet of snow every week, and he has to go like plow it all by hand in a little like pink shovel. And, uh, and I've been moved, I just moved in and got married. So that, you know, <laughs> if you're married, you know, there's things you got to do. So <laughs> that was awkward. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, anyways, it's been busy guys, but we are back. Yeah. And, uh, we're talking about a really fun movie today. The culmination of the one other podcast we did in retrospect maybe we should don't want to split two but who cares um you know though I don't, I don't think a split episode would have been as good as jumping right into glass that's i'm curious oh we will dive into that i'm curious about that <laughs> okay all right so we're doing glass yeah glad this is probably the movie i've looked forward to the most doing this podcast really like after you've seen it or like before before you saw it before I saw it, it's weird. I listened to the last episode. I didn't have as as high of opinion of Unbreakable, but since yeah. then I've really looked forward to Glass. Hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. So that was the time I changed Brain's mind <laughs> in the episode about a movie because Unbreakable really is a good movie. It is. Speaking of changing minds, at the end of that film, you at the end of that podcast, you gave Unbreakable. I think you gave it a rent it. And you said that would be that would be determined uh, that could change depending on how good glass was. Has your opinion changed? Um, I would I would give it a buy it. Okay. 
and he, and here's why glass as a whole and i'm going to set this all up maybe for failure who knows <laughs> as a whole glass um was a good not great movie okay in my, in my side of the thing and be, but because of that i do think it, it warrants getting unbreakable um it's it's really worth i think it's really worth it yeah glass was a good enough movie that it makes unbreakable better yeah completely completely agree so um let's just jump in all right so uh do you have any opening thoughts before we start talking about spoilery things i i'm gonna get i'm gonna start off by saying uh as a whole this was a really good movie because it's unlike any other movie right now. Yeah, I, I will agree with that wholeheartedly. And that's something I really like. I think that it's easy for movies to get into the monotony of, hey, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, and this is, the, this is the formula. And it makes money, so it's understandable, but it's refreshing. It's like reading a book. It's refreshing when something breaks that mold. Albeit maybe not as some might argue maybe not as great as it could have been. Um, and maybe we'll have some thoughts on that later. But I, I really do think that I appreciate and love the fact that it's such a different movie um, from everything else out there. Yeah, I agree with thoughts? that. About- I, I agree <laughs> with that. I um, it, It's a very fair criticism of like the Marvel movies that they get rather formulaic. I just read a book actually, the it's called it's origin yeah. by dan brown it's like the fifth in his da vinci code series and it's i i remember reading it i texted my dad like this is basically da vinci code with a new bad guy it's the exact same book mm. you run into that a lot with genres and with with uh like especially with superhero or action stories and i agree mm. this this really broke the mold this yeah. film surprised me on a number of times i i honestly didn't know what was going to go happen throughout most of this yeah. film yeah. And I, I, I really like the ending. We'll talk yeah. about it when we get there. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I liked it. Having I have to admit, I said I was going to, but I never ended up seeing Split. <laughs> so I got to experience James McAvoy's performance. Holy crap. For the first time, which Holy maybe added to my enjoyment crap. of this film. Phenomenal. I, I mean... Here's the thing. Let's just, as we get into spoiler things, um, if you haven't seen any of these movies, James McAvoy plays a character uh, with Dissociative Identity Disorder, DID, uh, a really real condition that's often portrayed in criminal TV shows um, to not be what it actually is. Yeah, Um, and I want to talk about that toward the end of the film, toward the end of the film, if we can. Oh, yeah. Okay, sure. Great. So, James. I I have some thoughts. Okay. So, James McAvoy. he portrays his character though, and uh, it ha- he has twenty four personalities or twenty two or something like that. Twenty four. Um, twenty four. Okay, and I just think it's worth saying from the get go that anything that's said here, he did a phenomenal job. Um, yeah, the acting not- overall in this film is oh yeah spectacular on all counts. Yeah, man, but to do that many characters um, and to do them well, and especially the variance between all of them he he's phenomenal I'll, and i've seen we've seen him in other stuff too so but yeah no, the, the x-men series uh chronicles of narnia all so many other films <laughs> he's he's a very popular he's guy a 
he's down a lot. So. Has he won an Oscar? Yeah. Yet? Okay. So let's dive in, uh, dive in man. What are your thoughts? Uh, he, sh- he should if he hasn't. I'll, I'll fact check that while you, you, you give your opening thing. Um, Overall, I think this film, it was the best next step for both Unbreakable and Split. I, I want to I recognize that being able to take the two films owned by different production companies made almost 20 years apart and make a great sequel that worked perfectly with both of them is a is a magical feat in yeah. and of itself. That might be the most impressive thing in my Shyamalan has ever done. Yeah, uh, I think it's incredible, and it's almost. Uh... Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. We're on. We're on that time delay. I, I think it's really. It. That's a really good observation. Yeah, I got you. Um, I think it's a really good observation, though, because uh, it, it has been has been. Uh, uh, 20 uh it has been like 20 years ish almost about since that first movie came out and they they've kept uh they've kept it uh pretty consistent including bringing the same kid back and uh that's that's pretty that's cool he's older now i do like Uh, that kid though yeah so they bring back some one of the same same actors and i think that's a really uh that's a really good observation i actually didn't even think of that dude yeah but no, overall, I really like this movie, and um, man, I think it was well worth the watch, and I'm excited that you made me go see it. <laughs> so, okay, kind of getting into it, this movie does take place a substantially amount of time after um, Unbreakable, and arguably, um, a, at least a decent amount of time uh, after Split. Um, maybe not. Maybe not I think it's years. been uh, like a year, maybe two. Yeah. So all in all, it's, there's been some passage of time, and the movie actually um, sets that up by just just showing uh, uh, Bruce Willis, who who plays one of the main. He's the hero, I guess. Yeah, he, I mean, he plays a hero in the movie. Uh, they yeah. show him owning a, a security store, and uh, you meet an employee who then calls him dad. And immediately, you reconnect. Oh, this is his kid. Yeah, um, which actually comes with my first criticism of the movie. Nothing really bad. It was just my pet peeve how many times he called him dad in that scene. I was like, okay, I get it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, on on one hand, yeah, it's a lot, and it's like, yeah, we get that it's his dad. On the other hand, they 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 make a point later in the film of saying that, you know, the whole his dad's a superhero thing is almost more important for the kid than it is for the dad, and I I think. That, I think that's supposed to be like another nod toward it where it's like this kid really needs his dad. I mean, we find out his mom's been dead for about five years. Um, uh, and uh, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. And, you know, he's always wanted his dad to be a superhero. So I, th- I think that that's really supposed to play into that in a way. Yeah, that's a really good observation, too. Um the movie sets that up that that's it. This he's kind of the guy in the chair for the Spider-Man analogy. Um, <laughs> for his dad. And his dad's a master vigilante, just going around the city, tearing people up with his super strength. And uh, this is a, uh, it, it's, it's kind of interesting portrayed a little bit uh, in this beginning scene. Cause we start flashing before and backwards in, in time. Um, 
which I think was actually a really interesting creative decision uh, because so much time has passed since the original movie that the movie really capitalized on like the time difference. Um, he's lost his wife and it kind of shows that in a really creative way. Um, so I think that the entire opening to this movie actually sets it all up really well. Yeah. And it, it shows us also that the, the horde as James McAvoy's character is known has been active in the past year and has killed another group of four, uh, four young girls, I think. Yeah. And it's um, taken five more. Yeah. And they, I, I don't remember the number exactly, but it was a substantial amount. For some reason, one of the personalities called the beast uh, must feed. It's basically cannibal, uh, but it must feed as to. I'm not. Yeah. They don't really ever dive into why he's a feed, um, but it's just something that kind of is is part of the movie. Yeah, and they didn't make the feeding as big a part of this. I mean, they only they only, you only see him feed quote unquote once, but they they do talk. Uh, they do talk about his, uh, his need to try and purify people by, through suffering. Yeah, and that is an interestingly weird thing, I guess. But it's, <laughs> it's, it is, I guess, what they, they are saying, though. So, it's a similar mantra that uh, Jigsaw had in the Saw movies. That's true. Um, so from the beginning of the movie, we, we actually don't see Mr. Glass until... It's almost an hour into the film. What we see. Yeah, I'd say almost halfway in, which is kind of cool uh, because how they reveal him is good, which we'll get to. Um, so basically, they're all living their lives. This vigilante is vigilante, I guess. He's getting a name. P- newspapers and tabloids are starting to give him a name. Oh, what do they call him? The overseer? The overseer. There's like that's one that's such like. Such a tip- great name. There was one like tiptoe something. There was a few different names for him. And uh, basically, though, he's just kicking people's butts. Yeah, in, in a very questionably heroic slash legal way. Yeah, well, the legal part is always, vigilante thing is always, you know. Yeah. It's the typical comic book struggle. There's the vigilante, the police want to stop the vigilante because he's going outside and not giving due process to the vigilante people. This film does a really good job, though, of... Um... Like even I started to question it, and in, in that the opening of the film, we see he's uh these two teenagers have just for no reason beat up this random guy on the street and then run yep. away. Yep. And he tracks them back to their house and <clears throat> beats them up. And it, I remember thinking this like, wait, what are you doing? This isn't like, you're not stopping some terrible criminals. You're beating up kids who are, yeah, deserving of punishment, but not necessarily like giving the crap beat out of them right not broken into their house too yeah so there's some that's a good point yeah questionable heroics there's some questionable heroics here he's trying to do the right thing but is he doing the right thing i don't know um which which i think shows he's kind of devolved a little bit since his wife died and that would do that to anybody though i mean oh yeah being you know being in a situation where where he's he's lost his wife and we find out later in the movie that it was it was due to leukemia was it yeah something like that uh, some cancer and and there's a really good way that's revealed which i'll i'll come back to you um 
but he's lost his wife and maybe that questions his judgment and it's probably set up his son's affinity for his dad a little bit more yeah. too um and maybe makes him feel more the hero but with lack of judgment because he's tried to use being a hero to fill the void of his wife and i wonder because he part of his power he doesn't get sick presumably like he wouldn't get cancer i wonder how he feels like his wife dying of something that he will never it, it won't won't ever get him very superman-ish, very yeah. superman-ish specifically yeah it's like if lois lane got shot or well i mean how superman's dad died <clears throat> depending on oh yeah just depending yeah. on the version you subscribe to but traditionally it's a heart attack yeah because there's nothing he could have done to stop it. Okay, so <laughs> with all that said, one of his superpowers is he can brush up against people and he can sense who they are. Yeah, is that weird, fair to like, say who they are? It, like what they're like doing? Weird premonitions of, of bad things they've done. Bad things, but maybe good things though too. Like, right? I mean, like, because he, he just sees people when he brushes them. I don't know. From what we see in the film, it's only when they've done something wrong. You never really get to see anyone do anything right. Okay. It's like, it's like a danger sense. Yeah, it's like a spidey sense. It's tingling. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I, while we're on this point, I read, I read a thing with uh, um, M. Night Shyamalan. Do you remember in the first film when he's at the train station and he brushes against the mother with, with like a son and you can hear like the kids screaming and he's supposed to be like... It's supposed to make us think the mother's abusive. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So M. Night Shyamalan has totally not admitted, but kind of heavily hinted that, that was uh, the Horde. Hmm. That that was that was uh, James McAvoy's character. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. We're, there's a great connection there. Okay. 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 Um, so basically, the vigilante has decided I'm done beating up kids that beat up people. Uh, I'm now going to go do something better and I'm going to go find this guy that's mutilating these young girls. Yeah. And I bet there's, there's gotta be some thought in his mind of like, I might be the only one who can stop him. Yeah. There's a hero complex. Oh, definitely. Which is kind of well illustrated with his demeanor, his lack of words and his drive to do it despite his son's, thing like don't do it go don't go do it yeah he does it and he so he goes out to this district that his son has pinpointed as the possible place where the next murder will happen um using trigonometry or whatever and uh remember that's like a triangle he's like i think it'll happen here because this makes a triangle Uh, (laughs) triangulating a a victim zone yeah triangulating victim zone so he goes to the victim zone and he brushes up against a bunch of workers. No one has any leads. But then he brushes up against our uh, our guy named Hedwig, who is one of the the youngest of the multiple personalities in inside of uh, Kevin's mind. And Kevin is the guy that that is the man of DID, multiple personalities. Yeah, I think this is where we need to kind of talk about Kevin for a minute and about how how the DID works for him. Yeah, go for it. So oh, yeah, there, that's very, yeah. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Sorry, I'm getting over cold. So there's the, the 24 different personalities. And uh, in the first movie, in Split, 
we find out that there there's one uh in kind of in charge his name is barry and the way the personalities talk about it barry is holding the light he's he's in charge of the body he's holding the light but different personalities can come out barry can release the light uh sometimes uh, the personalities will fight one of them will get control of the light and there there's a few personalities patricia dennis and hedwig in particular they all work for the beast this this animalistic sort of dark angel personality who doesn't really with how it sounds like the beast doesn't really have a seat at the table no so yeah so in in kevin's mind these personalities are all kind of seated in this circle around a table and they they can kind of talk and fight and but the beast yeah beast is something different which is which is weird and at the end of the film something happens i I forget exactly what happens something about the beast letting uh our our leading lady go where barry loses control of the light and it ends up uh hedwig gets control of it so now he's in control of of uh kevin's body he's the default personality now kevin is has hidden himself deep down in the mind and refuses to come out yeah and and that's really important i think just to kind of observe that this creates obviously this creates a very complex character that you both feel sorry for and also don't feel sorry for and hate yeah i mean it's kevin is kevin crumb is his name he's 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 definitely a victim, and not yeah. just of his mother's abuse, but he's he's really a victim of the beast itself. And so, oh, it, yeah, the horde. Yeah, yeah, of yeah, the horde, which is such a weird name. There's such weird names in this: the horde, the overseer. It's a comic book, man. It's a comic book movie, bro. Yeah, but totally. yeah. So Hedwig's taking control. Patricia and Dennis, they they. Because Hedwig is supposed to be a nine-year-old personality, Patricia and Dennis kind of control Hedwig. And they've captured these five new ladies, and the, the beast is going to come and feast on them because they are impure, because they've never suffered. Yeah. And uh, basically, Overseer bumps into Barry. He's, at, he's Barry at the time. No, he's Hedwig at the time. Or he's Hedwig at the time. I, I, think I don't name. think we see Barry in this film at all. No, I don't think we do. Hmm. He bumps into Hedwig. Do you think the personalities can die? I had an interesting observation. I had a, I, I, I'll, yes, I do. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Okay. So he bumps into him and he sees where the, where he sees the vision of these girls that are being held in captive, captivity by him. And he's like, holy crap, this maniac's the guy. And then he goes to save the girls. He sees some red clay and he goes to save the girls. And uh, so he gets to, to see the girls. The girls are obviously freaking out. They're like high school cheerleaders. And, and uh, he frees them and the beast enters the room. Mm. And here... So creepy. Yeah, because the beast is like climbing on walls and like all this other crap. And it's just it's crazy. And shirtless for some reason. And shirt... Well... <laughs> to show i think the reason why that i think that is though is because it shows like him his body changing like it shows he has more muscle his veins pop out all stuff 
Yeah, and from a practical standpoint, I can imagine, you know, when the beast takes control, he's exerting so much energy, he probably gets really hot. Yeah. Yeah, I could I would agree with that. Yeah. Can we talk real quick about the the color the color scheme? Of the movie? Yeah, kind of like cool. Each of our three characters, uh the horde, the overseer and Elijah Price, Mr. Glass, they all have their own colors. But I think it's interesting that you know, David Dunn as the hero, he's the one in dark colors. And he's the one that's always covered in, you know, his face is covered, his he's hides in the shadows. And the beast is wearing these bright yellows and he's he he's uncovered, you can see him a lot. And it's kind of flipping the role of the the hero and the villain from the comics. Wow. That's yeah. really good, actually. <laughs> it's kind of like Batman and Joker. That's really good. Holy crap. <laughs> Yeah. I watch yeah. a lot of superhero movies. <laughs> no, that's a really good point, actually. Wow. I just thought about that. I'm looking at pictures from the film right now, actually. So they fight, though. Oh, what a fight. So it's, it's literally what happens, like what the Joker says, it's literally what happens when an immovable object meets an unstoppable force. Yeah, that's exactly what they are. Nothing happens. <laughs> they and keep... They're throwing things at each other, hitting each other, but it's just, it's, they're too evenly matched. Yeah. Literally, no one really has the upper hand unless he gets into water, which is his right. weakness. Yeah, and the, because the beast tries his, uh, his, his finishing move, for lack of a better word, where he kind of hugs the person and crushes all their bones, but you know, David Dunn can't break. It doesn't do anything to him. Yeah, he's unbreakable. Which is another interesting kind of the beast attacks those he finds are impure because they've never suffered. They can't be, you know, they've never hurt like, like Kevin has. And of course, mm-hmm. David Dunn can't be hurt. He's like the most right. impure that the beast could ever meet. Which obviously makes him fixated upon him. But yeah. after this fight, something really interesting happens. And this is where it kind of gets, I'm really curious about this part of the movie. They get caught. Yeah. Now, I don't have an issue with them getting caught here. Um, basically, the police have set up a surrounding there. Um, they have this giant strobe light that when it strobes, it changes the personalities. Hypnosis therapy changes the personality that, that Kevin uh, is experiencing. Um, so it changes them from the beast to whomever. Um, now, I don't have an issue with any of that. Uh, but did I miss something where they set up how they found them or like, so um, it just kind of happened. So here's how I understood it. And this is kind of talking about the ending. Um, I don't think that was the police. Because we find out later that this therapist that is working on Kevin and, and, and David Dunn, that she's not like a real therapist. She's with some secret organization that stops superpowered people and, and heroes and villains and stuff. And she makes a reference that um, she tells David right before well we'll get to that later but she tells David if if the horde hadn't shown up I would have left you alone which makes me think that she's known about David for a while and she's probably known about the horde for a while and mm. maybe she was wanting these two to I, I kind of think she was hoping one of them would take care of the other and that's why she let them fight and like, mm. like Godzilla let them fight <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I, and and when 
clearly no one came out ahead. That's when they had to step in. Hmm. I kind of think that blockade was meant for whoever won the fight. But then no one won the fight, so, you know. They got both of them. Yeah. An interesting thought would have been, it was raining out there, so I'm curious if 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 the fight went on. Who would have won? Uh, yeah, I'm curious. You know, the, does rain affect David all that much? Because it seems to just be standing water, because it's raining in the first movie when he first starts to be a hero. But in his cell, it's pressurized water being thrown onto him. That's a lot of pressurized water, don't get me wrong but it's basically crazy rain. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's very true. So anyways, they get captured and they get taken to a mental uh, asylum in Philadelphia. And this mental asylum in, in Philadelphia, uh, this lady is basically claiming that she is a psychiatrist that specializes in um, delusions of grandeur, specifically people that think that they are superheroes, which I really want to know if that's a real... Um, that's a it maybe it is i'm I'm kind of curious if that's a real subset of psychology i mean i'm sure delusions of grandeur and there's so many different like the napoleon complex god complex i'm sure right. it's all encompassing in something like that that's a good point yeah so she is supposed to be a subset specialist of this particular delusion of grandeur and um and this is where we find out kind of amazingly mr glass is here also yeah, Mr. Glass is here, which, I mean, is understandable. He did after his last, when he, because David turns him in Yeah. Um, at the end of Unbreakable. And obviously, Mr. Glass, while smart enough to maybe evade it, didn't want to evade it, which we find out, which actually is really brilliant when you find out the ending. Oh, um, that ending. We'll get to that, my friend. Yeah, more to come after this episode. Uh, no, I was uh, no, so, but he's there. Which, if you, I mean, we knew this was going to be a culmination thing. Oh, yeah. um, but he's captured there, and he's being kept there. and uh, Sedated. He, sedated. Heavily sedated. And uh, he basically is so sedated, though, because he's so smart. Yeah. They, they, he's already shut down the power in the facility once. He's already tried to escape once. Yeah, he's a genius. I mean, he's just, he's a genius. So they keep all three of these superheroes, villains, whatever they are, in this block here, like in this little area of the psychiatric uh, hospital. In cells specifically designed for them and their quote-unquote powers. So in, in David's cell, he has a bunch of pressurized water around him that could just, if he tries to take somebody down, it'll just spat a bunch of water on him. And, and for the, for, um, for Kevin, it is a barricade of light that just changes his personalities if needed. Yeah. And then change it to preferably a nicer one. And for Mr. Glass, he's just in a padded room. (laughs) So I guess there's there's nothing you can really do to block his powers. Yeah. He's just a genius. So, so that's interesting. Okay. So I've talked a lot. What are your thoughts so far? Yeah, so this is this is a it was a great introduction, a great way to bring our characters together. And we get to start learning about them. And I, I find it interesting how the the horde seems afraid of David. 
like Hedwig seems afraid. I think Patricia is kind of worried that he's there. And they almost act like he's the villain in a way. I agree with that. Yeah, Beast, the Beast says something at the end of the film where he's like, he's there to protect Kevin, which is how you know, DID generally develops um, as a reaction to trauma or abuse right. as a way to protect the victim. Right. So that, that definitely makes sense. And I, you know, I don't know if he sees David Dunn as, as a threat to Kevin, which is totally understandable. <laughs> well, I think it is because at the end of the movie, um, he, the, the beast is about to kill Mr. Glass, who at that point in the movie was his ally because he uh, lied to him about something. Yeah. And that something made him untrustworthy. So he had to take care of him. Kevin. Yeah. So he was going to kill him because of that. Yeah, he's there to he's there to protect Kevin. And it okay. The more the more and more I think about this movie, the more I'm really starting to question if David's even a hero. Interesting. Do do explain. Well, you know, like I mentioned earlier, with the he, he's he's stopping you know quote unquote bad guys, but he's stopping them in ways that are worse than what they did. It's a kind of like a, it's like you you want to stop someone or you want to stop a a house from burning down so you blow it up. Or uh, I and I, it's weird because I'm I'm developing this thought now as I talk, but I I think David is the is a classic example of a vigilante who's way overstepped his his bounds his lines. Okay. Where he's he's almost become more of a problem than he's trying to stop. Really? Yeah. You know, there's huh. a there's there's a, a a comic series. I think the series is called Planet Hulk, or maybe just the first episode was, where of uh, basically all the Avengers have decided Hulk is too much of a liability, and they send him off of Earth to some uninhabited planet, and he doesn't get there. Long story, but. But it's the same kind of idea where like Hulk has become more of a problem than he's worth or than anyone can really deal with. And I, I wonder if David is developing into that. I mean, even his own son is starting to kind of... It seems like he's starting to not be sure about his dad being this hero. You know, he, he in the beginning of the film, he tries to talk his dad out of going on these walks and out of trying to find the beast so quickly. And he even... You know, the, the son goes and talks to the psychiatrist who is trying to convince the son as well as David that, you know, David isn't a hero, that, you know, the, the incredible things he can do maybe aren't that incredible. And I, I think the son kind of buys it. You know, he, he fights against it, but there's just the way he looked when he was talking to the psychiatrist. It almost seems like he, he kind of wants it to be true. Like he's almost ready for some normality in his life. Yeah. So here, I think, is getting into... What was that? Maybe David's the villain all along. Well, you may not be wrong, though. <laughs> here, here's where this movie, in my opinion, gets shines. It's, it's okay. a peak moment in this movie. It's the middle. Don't get me wrong. The ending is great, but the, end, the middle is a psychological joyride. Oh, I love this part. Because, basically... They are all in the psychiatric hospital because she has three days. The, the government has given her three days before trial or whatever to convince these people that they are mentally unstable. And that they're not 
superheroes. And that they're not superheroes. It's just delusion of grandeur. Now, on the surface value, if you've seen the other movies, or if you've seen really any part of this movie, you're kind of like, eh, that's not. Okay. Well, yeah. I understand. She's probably just some science lady that hasn't been and seen the things that the viewer has seen. Here's the thing about all this, though. She sells it um, really well. And in my opinion, the writing of this movie is brilliant because um, there is enough doubt in, in even some of the fighting sequences um, that happen after, after she proposes the idea that you are not superheroes. Uh, and yeah. she does so in a really, in a really unique way. She, it's basically all done in one scene. Um, it starts in one scene where they're in this pink room. Not sure if the room's pink, but it's a pink room. And um, they're in there and she questions them about their powers. And uh, when she's questioning them about their powers, uh, they're all like, well, this is what I feel. This is blah, 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 blah. And then she brings up really uh, interesting counterpoints to a lot of their things. So the counterpoint, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, sorry, you can chime in. Can I? So yeah, she she tries to, prove that like all oh, these these supernatural or incredible things that you think you're doing you're not actually doing because of this the beast bends lead bars earlier but she says oh they're old bars that aren't made of strong i was able to bend it with the wrench yeah um, yeah she kind of points out that david's never really done anything that isn't outside of a person's regular ability but let me ask you something luke do you think she was lying about all that or do you think like because she she says she's run tests like on the shotgun pellets that shot the beast and the and split and on I forget what else she ran a test on but supposedly proving that it, it wasn't anything special. Do you think that was real or do you think that was all fabricated? Oh boy, oh boy. Okay. <laughs> Open a can of worms, didn't I? Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, <laughs> it gives away my ending to this okay, we, can, so. we can talk about something else yeah. no okay. I, I i just yes I, let's, I think let's let's talk about mr glass first so that way we've talked about all the characters and we can come back to the ending okay yeah yeah okay 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 so mr glass has been in this hospital for a while he's supposedly sedated but we find out that he he's not been taking his sedative he's been switching out for advil and he's, he's been totally gonna kill his liver but whatever <laughs> yeah and <laughs> yes <laughs> and so he and he's just acting he's just playing yeah he's pretending which by the way samuel jackson's stare in this movie is the creepiest thing i've ever seen oh for sure it's ridiculous do you notice he never blinks i don't think i saw him blink oh, the entire wrong. film yeah. yeah you're not wrong actually That's kind of creepy. <laughs> it's really scary actually yeah holy crap yeah you're right so but he, he eventually reveals that he's faking it all and he has a plan to break the horde out because while while our... I should look up her name. It's Dr. Ellie Staple. While Dr. Staple has been trying to convince them all that they're not special and it's even working. Even Patricia, who is one of the personalities that is like the, the high priestess in the worship of the beast, as she's called she's in this film. Yeah. yeah, she's questioning. She thinks maybe this isn't true. Because uh, the Beast, the personality of the Beast uh, did things that while while crazy while, were not... Well, impressive. 
were not unexplainable based on what she was being fed. Yeah. The information that she's being fed by the doctor. Yeah. And so Mr. Glass comes to her and says, it's all false. You really like, uh, you know, the beast hasn't done anything crazy. Let's do something crazy. We're going to break out. And he wants to go destroy a new tower that's being built. Yeah. He wants to yeah. show the world who they are. Yeah. And so they, <laughs> in, in, this, in, a, in this little group therapy session, which was a very weird scene, but I love it. The doctor, Dr. Staple, says that they're going to try a, a form of laser surgery, essentially, on Mr. Glass to correct the part of his brain that's going a little crazy and giving him these delusions of grandeur. So he arranges the breakout, and then they move up the surgery because they know he's trying to break out. And it supposedly works. You know, we see him in his room, like, practically unconscious, but still sitting up. And the nurse comes to check on him, and then Mr. Glass flips and kills the nurse. He, like, slices he... his throat out of nowhere. When he did that, I was like, holy freaking <laughs> crap. You're like, I oh, was... now the film's going. Dude, when he did that, I was like, I stood up and clapped in my mind. I was like, <laughs> that was amazing. Because it was so, like, you knew something was up. I mean, you just know something was up there. Like, you know that... But here's the thing I think this film does so brilliantly. It gives you enough doubt. In my opinion, this film gives you enough doubt to make you question, maybe the powers aren't real. Yeah, maybe. And, and honestly, I'll be going to ask you that later, but even when this film ended, I was really like, I even left the film thinking, were there actually powers? Yeah. Yes, we do get to see the beast flip a car. But, I mean, you're hyped up on adrenaline like the Beast is. Because the Beast kind of runs on pure adrenaline. I don't know that's, if that's crazy impossible. So I, I was even leaving the film, like, I don't even know if this is all real or not. Also, I love what Mr. Glass says when he kills the nurse with a shard of broken glass from one of his picture frames. And he just yep. whispers, took a long time to find one the right size. And then you look down and see a picture frame he's broken. And he's dug through the broken glass. Yeah, that was just brilliant. So yeah. here, here's where I think this movie, um, it, so this is when it really takes off. He had, it reveals, in a, in a, and I don't think it's necessary for us to dive in, but it reveals his grand plan, basically, of mm -hmm. how, he, how he tricked everybody and, and he duped them and blah, 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 to, to, to break everybody out, to make this great fight scene happen. Um, which I think was an epic sequence on itself. Uh, I don't really have any issues there. Um, I do have. I do think there's one thing we need to talk about at that scene. Yeah. Okay. Which is, David Dunn has been convinced he's not a superhero. Yeah, he and is. Mr. Yeah, and Mister Glass shuts off the water, the water pressure things in his room, and he's over the the sound system. A really impressive sound system for a psychiatric ward cell. Um, yeah. <laughs> He's over it essentially saying, I think you're a hero. And yeah. I'm about to prove it to you by making you be a hero. And he says, like, a, there's, there's a steel door in front of you. No more people can't get through that because their bones would break. Do you break? Or so, He says something like that. And, and David has this moment of, like, he, very conflict. He doesn't know if he will break or not. Yeah, he survived the train wreck. Maybe that's a fluke. He survived that car wreck. But, you know, cars are 
kind of safer than we think. Yeah. So, and he has to make this decision of, am I, am I really this hero? Yeah. And, and they put enough doubt to the, to you to make you wonder because you think through the, some of the fight scenes and things like that, there are some un- unexplainable things. Yeah. But not enough to make you go, well, he does have superpowers. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. Um, what was really interesting, um, I thought one really interesting point too, it was like when she was trying to convince the Horde, one of her selling points was, you know about um, there, there are rock climbers out there that could scale basically flat wall. They're just yeah. so good. And I thought that was really good. Um, so I thought that was a really good point. So they put enough doubt into you that I think it was really brilliant um, to where they're questioning yourselves and you're even kind of questioning them to some degree, even though deep down you're like, uh, they, there's some, they have something. Whether it be superpowers or not, they have something. Yeah, and it really, it starts to make you wonder, are the powers necessary to be heroes? Yeah. I, I think we need to talk real quick about the other three main characters in this film, <clears throat> which is David's son, Joseph. Yep. Mr. Glass's mom, uh, she's just named Mrs. Price. We never get a first name. And then Casey Cook, the young girl that the beasts let go in the first film, who's kind of fallen in love with Kevin, the main personality, yeah. which is kind of yeah. interesting. Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. Well, and I think she also has, she really has connected to Kevin as a victim because she's also a victim of abuse. Yeah. But she's in a much better place now. She's in a, in a foster care and with a family that loves her, kids that love her. And these three people, as far as we know, have no powers. Like, not even yep. the powers that maybe David and the Horde have. Right. But they are huge parts of this final fight. And really, I mean, they did more. Casey and Joseph did more than, than uh, David Dunn did in this fight of stopping the Horde. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I think one, of the, one of the core tenets of this film and one of the more impressive parts of it is, like, is this point of do you, you don't really need powers to be a hero. These guys don't. And they, they do a lot. Yeah. That's actually a really good analyst. <laughs> Analyzation of that. Wow. This movie has a positive message, guys. You don't need that. No, <laughs> That's really good. So we're, we're to the ending now. The Horde and, and Mr. Glass have broken out. David's broken out of his room. And they're going to fight in the front yard of the hospital. And... You know, the police are there, Casey, Joseph, and Mrs. Price are all there. The, the doctors, they are acting very strange, kind of avoiding it, but also kind of not avoiding it. It's really weird. Yeah. yeah. And this is where I want to talk about the beast and about the personalities. Okay. Now, I went to go see this film with my wife, Jessica, and yeah. she enjoyed the film, but she really hated the beast. Really? Well, okay. Do you tell this, this was a pretty common, um, common concern with Split when it came out of vilifying the very real, like we said, very real disease. Mm-hmm. Disorder? Disease? I don't know which is the difference. But very real disorder of DID. Yeah. What does that stand for? Yeah. I forget. Say it again? What does that stand for? Oh, I forget what. Uh, disassociative uh, Identity Disorder. Right. So here's my thought. In, in Unbreakable... Mr. Glass, there's a great scene where Mr. Glass is talking about uh, this, this picture 
which was the original artwork for a very old comic book and how in the original artwork everything's a lot more realistic the hero is drawn much more realistic yeah villain is drawn much more realistic and then when it went to print they 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 cartoonified it they extremized they extremized it you know they made the hero much more muscular and obviously more manly and the villain was given larger eyes and meaner features things like that Mm -hmm. and that's that's a that's a very core tenet on how we tell stories you know when you when you look at say science where we're trying to prove something or test the capabilities of something the one one way we one one tool we use is to try and find the outer limits like there's a there's a in mathematics there's a number called graham's number which was an attempt to find the upper boundary of a, a mathematical principle whose name i completely forget but it is how they're going to prove this this equation is they found the upper boundary lower boundary and they're just going to bring it in and it's something you find a lot in science and math and you, know, you you find the most, you find the least, and you want to get toward the middle where it makes the most sense, you know? Yeah. And we, I, I think a very similar thing happens with storytelling. You know, when we, we want to try and find, find out more about ourselves as people. You know, it, it's this, old, this, this old, uh, um, old saying that there's really three types of stories. There's stories about man against nature, about man against... I forget what the second one is, but and the <laughs> last one, <laughs> I think it's a man against machine. Yeah. Man oh no, against man machine. against other man, and then man against himself. Okay. Yeah. Where? <laughs> and that's the most difficult type of storytelling. Yeah. No, it's very absolutely. Difficult to understand ourselves, and mm-hmm. in storytelling, the way we learn more about ourselves is by taking everything to the extreme. We, we, we go to the extreme of a feeling to learn more about that feeling. You know, you don't just watch a film about someone feeling a little sad. They have the worst life possible and then we bring it back in and how it connects to us. Mm. While I understand the concerns about how this film vilifies DID, I think it's trying to do something similar. It's trying to take a very real concept of people who suffer terrible abuse and terrible um, I forget what the other word I said earlier was. Um, they can, their mind can sometimes fracture into this DID as a way to protect itself, to disassociate itself from what's happening. And I think what this film has done is doing something that, you know, comic books have been doing for a hundred years, where it takes that concept and it pushes it to its absolute extreme to help us better understand it. You know, the Hulk is this concept of when you get angry, you start acting in ways you can't control. How far would you go? How far could you go when you get too angry? And I think this film is trying to do something similar with the Horde. And it's, I, I almost feel, it's, it's almost disappointing to me that there's that this outcry at it because to me, I understand this disease more having seen this film because it's done this thing of extremizing it to help explain it. Well, and here's one of the here's one of the, the things I think that's overlooked with that too is that this this film is actually much more realistic representation of of what I mean. In TV shows, DID is usually like two or three personalities. Yeah. The reality is that it's from what I've seen. I'm not a psychologist. But <laughs> What I have been like in told, every podcast, we are not professionals. Yeah. So what I have been told by people that 
are smart in this area is it it's usually more than two or three um so i think this film actually while yes he's a villain i don't think that's a really good observation actually brayden that's that's really good because um, portrays a more accurate picture of the disease obviously there's caveats to that but um that's a good point hmm yeah and i think there's something similar that happens with the character of david um this idea of david to me kind of sums up this question of if you can should you like if you can do something does that necessarily give you the right to do it I think, you know, I mentioned earlier, I think David might be more of a villain than we think. I think David is kind of exemplifying this idea that maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> maybe just because mm. you can teach these punks a lesson doesn't mean you really should. Yeah, no, you're totally right. Yeah. What's your so anyway, Yeah. Yeah. Mm. This film should have been called Breaking Point. That would have been a good name too, though. Okay. So in the end, like we said, we're in the... We're, we're fighting. They're fighting. Yeah. They're the finale fight. This is where I want to start observing um, kind of our wrapping up, I guess, of all this, how, this film, how, this, how this film ends. Yeah. You had some interesting – it sounded like you had some interesting thoughts. I'm really curious to, to hear um, what you have to say on it. So, yeah, in this ending, you, you get to see David, like, he really decides, okay – I can be a hero. I'm going to go stop the beast. And we get to see the beast go kind of crazy because he's, he's ready to show himself to the world in a way, which is, is a deterioration from his original goal of protecting Kevin. Yeah. He's kind of putting himself in more danger and, and yeah. being a bigger threat to Kevin, right. which I think is important when Kevin comes back in a minute. Yes. And uh, Casey shows up, Joseph shows up and, and they're both there to try to help stop the beast. Casey has a connection. <coughs> excuse me. Has a connection with, with Kevin and Hedwig, Hedwig, for that matter. And even the beast. And, and mm. Joseph has learned that Kevin Crumb's father died on the same train that David Dunn was on in Unbreakable. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Um, that Mr. Mr. Glass is the reason why the Horde exists because he killed Kevin's father, which started the, the cycle of abuse between, from Kevin's mother. He is the epicenter of it all. He is. And he, he has this, I like that Samuel Jackson kind of goes crazy here and he's in this maniacal laugh, even staring down someone that could very, very easily kill him. Kind of laughs and he says like, I created David and I created you. That makes me kind of crazy. I love that part. That's my it's my favorite line in the film. David, I created you. And this is where things start to really get interesting. Yes, because the police have shown up and they're acting weird. They act really weird. <laughs> um, there's obviously a big fight going on, and in this this girl comes over to. To Kevin, who's the beast at this current point. Yeah, this is Casey. This is Casey. She comes up and hugs him. And the, yeah. beast, and the beast can't kill her. Because love is basically forcing Kevin back into the light. Yeah, and this is 
like I, I mentioned a second ago, where the beast has kind of deteriorated and he's no longer protecting Kevin, he's becoming more of a threat to Kevin, where Kevin's kind of taking control again. Now, we do get to talk to Kevin earlier during this group therapy session, and, and he says, like, I don't want to be in control. I'm afraid. I don't want to. He, he even tells the therapist when he comes out, like, would you people stop bringing me out here? I don't want to be in the light. Yeah. Even though he legitimately does have the control, he doesn't want it. He's fearful what that means. Yeah. That's good. So Kevin comes back into the light and he's no longer the beast. And then all of a sudden he's, he's shot. Yeah. Yes. And which isn't unrealistic actually, I guess. No, it's not. Given the circumstances going on, but I totally thought that was going to happen. Yeah. But he's, since he's Kevin, he's no longer the beast. He doesn't have the impenetrable skin, whatever. He lays there and he dies. I know we get to see him flip through all these different personalities real fast. And the beast even says, I shouldn't have trusted you to Casey. And then, and then Kevin says, um, Kevin asked Casey, do you really love me? She said, yeah. And he said, okay, then I'll hold on till the end. Like he's defeated the other personalities. Yeah. I asked, I asked you earlier if you thought the other personalities could die and you said you want to talk about it later. I assume this is where you want to talk about it. It's around here. I want to talk about it. There's one time when the personalities were fighting for the light uh, and I think I'm trying to remember the exact moment in time because there are a few times in the movie where the personalities were trying to fight for the light. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it was actually in the moment where, oh, I can't remember the personality's name. It's the third one. It's not, it's not the Miss Ma'am. It's not, uh, it's not the girl. It's not the kid. It's the. Is it Dennis? Like the Southern one? one? No, not the Southern one. But he's like sophisticated. He reminds me of jo- Joseph Gordon Levitt, actually. Um, just in his demeanor and how he talks. Is this Barry? Yeah, it might be Barry. Barry's the one that was in control and split. And this one is different. Yeah. Um, but but basically, I think when Barry like objects, it's when he puts the girls into the car and he objects to all these people dying. I think that is Dennis. Dennis does. Yeah, it's Dennis. Okay, great. Um, there's kind of a struggle for power there. Yeah. And it almost looked how that struggle was going. He was like being choked almost. Yeah. So it makes me really curious if those personalities can kill each other. And I don't think it's shown, but it's an interesting uh, thought, I think. Yeah, that's that's a very good question. It's, um, I want to, because it's funny enough, actually, like right after I went to go see this movie, I watched my favorite episode of Criminal Minds, which also has someone suffering from DID. Um, and in that episode, the guy gets shot at the end, much like in this movie, actually. <laughs> it's, I'm not right now realizing how similar they are. And the, <laughs> the, the, the good personality, talking about the, the bad personality, he, he says to the guy who shot him, you killed him. Like, uh, you killed the bad personality. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, maybe these personalities can die. And it's not really like there's actually a crucial thing in, to the storyline about that. I just think it's really interesting. Look, this podcast is all about us talking about the uncrucial parts of the movie because they're more interesting. That's actually a good point. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he, she is sniped. Or he's, yeah. I'm sorry, he is sniped. He's dying. He's dead. You see the sniper has a little clover tattoo. Which will become and, important in a minute. And I was like, as soon as I saw that too, I was like, there's something going on there. 
I was honestly waiting for like Mr. Glass to have a tattoo like that too. Yeah, I was not sure who was all in on this. I was waiting for Mr. Glass's mom to have that tattoo. I was not sure. Yeah. So um, then we go over to David, who has been slowly drowning. Like he's he's he was drowning, but he escaped, and he's kind of trying to trying to get his regain his composure on the ground. And another police officer comes up, and he drags David over to a puddle, and he's holding David under the water. At this point, you're like, "What the crap? What this is a police officer?" But then he yeah, the psychiatrist comes over and she says, David, take my hand. And I kind of thought like, oh, is she trying to gain his trust by saving his life? You know? like, it, I was like, is she trying to convince him one last time that this power isn't real? And at this point in the movie, during the fight, besides the bending of the bar, there are some moments and there are some moments in the fight where you're like, a really strong guy could do that. You wouldn't necessarily have to have superpowers. Right, but this is all... Yeah, and but it's it's also a uh, it's it's another doubting moment. You kind of think, yeah, a strong guy could, but but David's not really that strong, so maybe it is superpowers. He punches yeah. a van, and a huge dent appears in the van, which is pretty impressive special effects. Right. Oh man, the special effects section is going to be great. So yeah, so David touches her hand, and he gets a vision of her in some secret group meeting. Yeah, so this is really interesting. So they're in this this dining room, and at first, it was a long shot of the dining room. They were just kind of yeah, sitting there. Much longer than David's visions normally are. Much longer. And I was kind of like, why are they showing us a dining room with people eating for this long? Like, I was like looking all over the picture trying to find something. I was like, what the crap? Is, what is going on here? Is David in, in the, the background? Last... What's going on? Yeah, which was actually kind of cool, kind of confusing, which is probably how David felt. Oh, definitely. Hey, here's a question. How do you think the visions happen from his point of view? Are they instantaneous? They seem to be. They're portrayed as instantaneous. Yeah, I guess so. I was just thinking, I was just thinking about, like, do they take real time? Like, is he, is it like he's actually seeing this and he's kind of clocked out? Anyway, sorry, go on. <laughs> no, that's a good question. Okay, so basically, though, um, he has this vision and then the room gets silent after the last after someone leaves and they start having a secret meeting. And that's yeah, it. That's they, the they lock the doors and someone says, uh, it's only us here now. And that's really the vision, though. Yeah. It's actually not that explicit or detailed. And, and this is, I think this is so brilliant, dude. This is the part of the movie. This is where I want to get into my wrap-up summary a little bit here. Maybe yours is later on. With I'm sure yours is with the master plan. But this is where I want to get my plan landed. All right, go ahead. She says, he's like, oh, my gosh, you're not a psychologist. And, and with his eyes. I don't think you have a medical degree. I don't think. It's like over the hedge. You know, I don't think that person's a real doctor. Um, <laughs> uh, you remember that? Yeah. Uh, anyway, sorry. Uh, that was Toy Story. Um, so it's like, oh my gosh. And you see the clover on her hand as she's, as he's, she's letting go. And you're like, oh my gosh. And, um, and then she says something that this is my favorite part of the movie for me. Yeah. Where she's like, David, I have to know, did I almost convince you that your powers weren't real or that she's like, did I almost convince you? And this yeah. is at the point where I was like, oh my gosh. So yeah, this is, this is something interesting. She, she, she says in that moment as well, um, 
if it weren't for the horde, I would have let you be. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think she really, she didn't want to do this to David. I don't think she did. Because let's be honest, David wasn't really a threat. No, not really. I mean, yeah, vigilante, whatever. But he wasn't like using his powers for not, he wasn't even really using his powers to get anything more than teenagers. Yeah, no. He wasn't a threat. So here's my thoughts of all this though. She's like, did I almost convince you? At this point in the movie, you can think one of two things. And at the end of the movie, you can think one of two things. Is this secret society that she's a part of a society that's been around for 10,000 or whatever? It may not that long, but has this society been around forever and is trying to suppress supernatural humans from coming to the light, to being real, to being realized, to, to exploring their powers, to be gods amongst men? Okay, that's interesting. Maybe that's what this group is. It's stopping superheroes, basically. Yeah. Or is this a group that's doing the same thing is trying to stop people from becoming supernatural, but is a source of that supernaturalism something to where they they can do some extraordinary feats from what they believe about themselves in their mind? We know that as people, we only use so much of our minds. What's a part of our minds that we haven't tapped yet can make us do extraordinary things. Are these people, through their life experiences and through their, you know, the train wreck, losing their having their mom abuse them and things like that. Maybe they've unlocked a part of their mind that we haven't. Yeah. Um, and, and so their powers aren't necessarily real. It's just that they're pushing their mind. Clearly they have abilities. Yeah. Uh, I think the, I think the question is just how these, these things originate. Is it the science, the answer that she gives earlier or is it, or is it, and, and I don't think it's answered. And I think I like that it's not answered. I personally, yeah am almost at the camp of it's a mixture of just psychological factors. You think Uh, it's more mind over matter. I do. I do. Because she builds a pretty good case that there are a lot of circumstances in these people's lives that have led them to believe that they are supernatural. Therefore they can execute these things. Yeah. And that's, that does kind of tie in with, with Mr. Glass's master plan, which if, if, Let's let's get through that real quick so we can talk about it. Yep. So Mr. Glass, um, he's kind of know this was going to happen. After after Dr. Staple has her moment with David Dunn, she goes over to a, a dying Mr. Glass who's been seriously injured by the beast. And she says, um, no, she says, you, you believe in secret societies, whatever, or secret evil societies. And, and I've actually looked at the quote now. It's one of my favorites. She says, I don't think we're particularly evil. We don't choose sides. We try to stop both of you. If there's one of you, the opposite appears. It escalates. We step in. There just can't be gods among us. Which kind of, it kind of explains what her group is. They're a sort of balancing group, as it were. You know, they don't want superheroes or supervillains or super anyone. So whenever, whenever people start showing up, they step in and stop it. And so they've killed the beast. They've killed David. They're, they, they're, they're letting uh, Mr. Glass die. But then she finds out after she's done and she, she says she's moving on to the next city, which kind of hints that there's more mm-hmm. heroes out there in the, the Shyamalan verse. What are we supposed to call this yep. universe? I don't, think more. I don't, we're going to call it the Shyamalan verse. Shyamalan. Shyamalan. 
Yes. So um, after she goes, she finds out that Mr. Glass was recording and live streaming the whole final fight and everyone's death. And he knew that this was going to happen. And she, she's, she even says, like, this is a suicide mission. Um, because he is trying to, to tell everyone in the world, like, heroes do exist. And if you're out there, do something. Like, don't be afraid. Don't hide. Step out and do something. Which is, you know, kind of ruining Doctor Staples, uh, Doctor Staples' plan. Yeah, and I, I, I kind of wonder. I kind of worry that, like, is she going to be killed by her group because she failed? I kind of think she will be. This yeah. seems like a very secretive organization for a long time, and failure doesn't seem to be like a big option. It's like the um, end of uh, of uh, Hunger Games, <laughs> where the game she, master is just given the poison berries. But she's not. You know what I'm saying? She hasn't. She's failed. Oh, definitely. And she's kept, she, she's literally the person, like it or not, she was outsmarted. She likes it or not, she's outsmarted. So she, she literally um, uh, is the one that let the cat out of the bag for possibly after 10,000 years, depending yeah. on how that you interpret, you, you know, you, you interpret that, um, that scene there. But you know what I'm saying? So I think she'll be killed for sure. Yeah. And we, you, we just see at the ending that, Joseph Casey and Mrs. Price have all they've released this video and and they're sitting at the train station which is very important for this movie sitting at the train station watching everyone watch this video because they've like released it to the whole world all at once which is really impressive brilliant scene yeah I think they probably sent it news outlets or something like that yeah and that's how the movie ends yeah it ends very suddenly (laughs) I agree yeah absolutely there's a lot of there's a lot of questions with this film. Do you have anything else you want to say? You were trying to wrap it up and I interrupted. Sorry. No, no, that that was really my thought though. I mean that that's my wrap. Yeah, that's my wrap. Yeah. So there's a lot of there's a lot of questions left unanswered at the end of this film. Like, were the powers real? Were they not? Are there other people with powers? And does it matter? That's my question for you, Luke. Does it matter if the powers are real or not? No. Because clearly there is. Clearly there's what? I'm as just... in, clearly there's something there. As in, they 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 were able to do something. Yeah. What the source is, that's up for debate. Clearly yeah. there are other people. <laughs> I mean, there has to be. I mean, there's a whole society around it. There has to be other people. Yeah, and the, yeah, like she she said, I'm, I'll move on to the next city. Um, it's clearly there's someone else out there that has gotten their attention. Yeah. So, and that's their job. Why that group is so big for that, I don't know. But <laughs> at least some interesting questions about that group, actually. Um, yeah, it really does. I don't think it matters, though. Okay. I, I don't think it matters as much either. I, I you know, <laughs> it, it, a lot of my favorite superheroes are the ones that don't have powers. Yeah. And I you know, there's definitely something about the you don't have to have powers to be a hero. You don't have to be super to be a hero. I mean, yeah. Batman is one of the most impressive superheroes of all time and he does he has no he powers nothing. most of the time. Sometimes mm-hmm. he does. Mm-hmm. Actually, once he was a god, that was interesting. Um 
Yeah, that yes. <laughs> I got distracted. By and large, he has no power, so and most right, versions. Yeah. And you know, I think that's kind of the. I think that was Mr. Glass's point when he's talking to David in the cell. He he kind of. I think his real point there was to David: doesn't matter if you have powers or not. If you believe you, if you believe you can stop the horde and get out of your cell, doesn't matter if you're really super strong or indestructible. If you think you should do something, it's kind of flipping. Like I mentioned earlier, that question: if you can, should you? It's kind of flipping that question in reverse. Like, if you should, would it stop you if you can't? Hmm. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's so, Luke, really any good. closing thoughts with this film? Yeah. Um, this film is more has more depth, and I should I should have expected it. But after talking out, this film has substantially more depth than I thought it did. Yeah. Holy I think crap. this is a film that we could talk about again in about six months, and and have a lot Dude. more to say. Oh my gosh! And we already had so much. Oh my goodness! This is good. <laughs> this yeah. is good. Okay, my closing thoughts are, this really is, it's, it, you've changed my opinion, actually, on my rating. Just oh, really? Your, your analysis of it, the tables have turned, my friend. Um, your analysis has made me, actually, this is a brilliant work. Wow. I was going to give it kind of good because of, like, how I felt some of the story development goes, but, man, I've totally changed my mind. Okay. It's a good movie. Great movie. I go, I take, I track my early statement. Great movie. Okay. Well, what would you rate it? See you in theaters. Booyah. Boom. Unfortunately, uh, we're talking uh, the last week it's in theaters. So by the time this comes out, you probably (laughs) won't be able to see it in theaters, unfortunately. If it ever comes back, go see it in theaters. Yeah. The first movie we actually saw in the theaters in this podcast, then it's too late. (laughs) Yeah, we'll work on that, though. We're growing. (laughs) Yeah. My closing thoughts. I think this is a film that asks a lot of questions and purposefully doesn't answer most of them. And I think that's, I, I, I think there's not enough of those films. I think there's more and more of them coming out, which is good, but, and I think this, um, this film makes you question a lot of things, makes you question a lot of things about what it means to be a hero, what it means to be a villain. And what's the difference between the two? Because in the end, there's, there's, there's less of a difference than I would have expected. Much like Unbreakable, like how Unbreakable really set a, a tone for superhero films, this really threw that tone out the window and stomped on it until it was nothing but dust in the ground. <laughs> which, <laughs> which was, all we are is dust in the wind. Yeah. Really impressive. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I, I, I think this film is definitely a go-see in theaters. And yeah. I forget what I gave Unbreakable, but I think it definitely does. It makes Unbreakable better, and uh, I really, really want to see Split now. Oh, it's worth it. So good. One so last good. question, because we kind of yeah. mentioned that there, there, there are surely other heroes out there, and I think this film kind of leaves it open that they could make more movies in the way that Disney likes to make sequels of everything. <laughs> Do you think there should be more? No. Thank um, you. <laughs> no. It really shouldn't be. Here's the thing. I don't honestly think to be completely candid with you, maybe there was a master plan, but 20 years is a long time. I don't really know if Unbreakable was ever meant to be a sequel. So, um, or a prequel, sorry. No. <laughs> uh, essentially, what happened in this movie was supposed to happen in Unbreakable, but studio, whatever, kind of changed some things. Like, the uh, Horde was supposed to be a character in Unbreakable. 
Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, okay. Yeah, and Shyamalan uh, talking about that right before the film came out. But yeah, no, um, Unbreakable was, was always supposed to be a standalone. Gotcha. Okay. Okay, okay. So with that said, no, I don't think so. I think that we've delved into this universe enough and anything else. I mean, don't get me wrong, though. If you come up with a good enough story, I, I have been proved wrong many times on a lot of things. Um, you know what I'm saying? So maybe there is a good, good argument there. But um, I just don't think it should. I think it's good as it is, man. Yeah, I think this film, um, I, I, I don't. I can't think of a way that you could move on past this film. Maybe there is, maybe I, but I really don't think so. I think this is a a really good standalone movie. And I think there's, um, you know, I think I'm really glad this movie came out and it's, it's making me think about a lot of things. <laughs> it's very introspective. It so is. there we go. That is, that's a uh, glass guys. So, the time has come. Yes, the has. time is nigh. <laughs> what the is... time is 7.30. Uh, what? Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, if you stay to the end of the podcast for this long, um, which is fine. If you did, you're awesome and better than everyone else. Um, what's the next flick? The next flick we're going to watch, you know, Valentine's Day here is in a couple of days. Oh, no. And even though our podcast is going to come out two weeks after Valentine's Day, Okay. Um, I'm, okay. I'm feeling in a lovey-dovey mood. Okay. So we're going to watch the Netflix original to all the boys I've loved before. Bring it on. Okay. <laughs> I've actually, I've not, so funny enough, I have not seen this film. I saw the last five minutes of it as I was coming home from work and my wife was watching it. But yeah, I've not seen this film. So I'm super excited to see it. Okay, I got it down on my list right now. That's going to be happening with wifey. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, thank you guys for watching or listening, not watching. We should do hey, a, sure. a filmed one someday, but we won't. We will one day. We will one day. Um, thank you all for listening. Please, if you get a chance, go check out my other podcast, Literally Lit. Check, within, check in with us on Twitter at PodNXT, P-O-D-N-X-T. And we'll catch you next time. Go and watch movies. Yeah. Okay, bye, guys. Watch movies. That's the, that's the theme of our podcast. Watch more movies. It's a $4 billion industry. We need to help it out some. Yeah, yeah we're going to make our dents on it. All right, bye, guys. Bye.